0: Welcome to this episode of Clearedcast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hey, this is Lindy Kaiser with clearancejobs.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am talking with Mark Fraunfelter, the Assistant Director of the Special Security Director at the National Counterintelligence and Security Center in CSC. We've chatted with him a few times at Clarence Jobs. He's always a great expert. So thank you so much, Mark. We've talked previously, Mark, about the UK, their annual security appraisal form. I loved hearing about that. I think we kind of think about US personnel security existing within a vacuum I mean, maybe that's me because I'm kind of like an, a me versus the world kind of a person. But we forget that there are a lot of lessons learned from our friends abroad. And I appreciated seeing I know NCSC shared a lot of the content around the Think Before You Link campaign that I believe was a UK based campaign kind of urging caution about just awareness over who you contact online. They had some really some really high quality videos that they produced about, you know, just knowing, hey, if you connect with somebody online, and you don't actually know that person. There is a decent chance that they are a foreign national person that is just after your personal information for nefarious purposes. So maybe kind of talk about, are there other collaborations like that that you see with kind of your UK counterparts in security? Are there lessons to be learned from kind of friends overseas and how does NCSC apply those when it comes to just the personnel security side of it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. You mentioned the annual security appraisal was actually developed initially in in the UK. And they're actually aware of our intent to implement it in our continuous vetting process and Trusted Workforce 2.0. And they want to leverage our work to consider improvements based on what we learned from our implementation. And you mentioned the Think Before You Link campaign. Another idea we learned from the Brits, we actually produced a video called Nevernight Connection, which um, is on our website, NCSC website. And the Aussies did their own version of the Think Before You Link campaign. So it's obvious that we're working with our 5 Eye partners, continually sharing ideas and, and best practices. But as far as from personnel vetting, one recent 5 Eye project was an initiative to ensure there's trust and confidence in the vetting and security clearance process across the five countries. And so this involved subject matter expert teams from each country to take a deep dive look into how each country conducts interviews, background checks, checks of social media, psychological evaluations, et cetera. And based on this feedback, we created a common assurance framework. The framework focuses on commonalities of personnel vetting among each country. And based on this, research and project, we reached the conclusion that each country vetted individuals to generally the, the same standards. And so this is just one step in the direction where we hope to leverage this project to improve information sharing among our five eye partners and, and to continue to expand on our collaborative relationship. NCSC here, the National Counterintelligence Security Center, we, we host a periodic meeting with our partner, Five Eye partners, to discuss issues of concern and share best practices. And also each country actually takes a turn at holding a quarterly conference where a host country formulates an agenda and it pulses each participant on how to address a particular topic. We actually have such a meeting coming up in the next few weeks. And topics can range from things like handling unauthorized disclosures, insider threat programs, recruitment, how do we recruit into our intelligence communities, the use of the polygraph, things like that. Recently, we've been discussing the impact of of the pandemic and how it affected mental health and well-being of the workforce. And again, sharing best practices amongst the five countries. Ironically, the messaging remains consistent with how each country kind of addresses uh, COVID restrictions. And one important theme, You know, certainly here in the US and each country's desire to erase the stigma that seeking mental health counseling or treatment could potentially have a negative impact on one's clearance with, and you mentioned this, we've had a tough couple of years with anxiety related issues including depression on the rise in the wake of COVID, the workforce really needs to be encouraged to seek treatment and counseling and not deterred from doing so. And and so these are the things we're working with in the personnel vetting arena with our partners overseas. And we're making a lot of progress. And I think the relationship and the partnering has, has been, just uh, tremendous to this point.
0: You know, you think about a lot of the stressors on the workforce and even kind of, you know, the same kind of countries that are attacking or looking for information, you share a lot of the same challenges. So it makes sense that it will be in your best interest to kind of look and see how you can continue to share information not just about the threats that you're interacting but how you can address issues within the workforce because whether it's again COVID or technical related issues a lot of those things are going to be the same well now I'm going to pivot because I can't get somebody with ODNI on the line and not talk about drugs and CBD products some of my favorites over at clearance jobs just because we continue to get so many questions about drug use CBD products marijuana investments we have actually just noted there was an uptick in clearance denials related to marijuana use. I think people are kind of expecting that there will be fewer. I don't know, I guess, because states are legalizing it, but the federal laws haven't changed. So those are some of the hot topics that I see just within the chatter we get from candidates, applicants over at clearancejobs.com. How does ODNI kind of address some of these hot topics. You mentioned a cascade of policy documents coming, so I can't wait. How does policy, how do you address all these kind of emerging challenges that come in, whether it's drug use or something else?
1: Yeah, you're, you, Linda, you're right. It's, it's marijuana and CBD products. It's, it, it's what we call a hot topic here. And obviously it's uh, undergoing a lot of discussion as far as its impact on one's ability to hold a clearance. You know, you mentioned that the changing societal acceptance of marijuana, which is reflected more and more in new laws at the state level, is generating a lot of demand signals for change in this area to include how we view marijuana involvement within the federal government workforce, especially for those, like I say, who are clearance holders or occupied national security positions. So the question most frequently asked uh, that we're on the receiving end is, hey, are the current adjudicated processes on involvement with marijuana impacting the ability to attract young talent especially not only in the federal government but into the intelligence community so It's a fair question. The intelligence community is not getting any younger. And in fact, this seems to be indicative across the federal government that the under 30 population is decreasing and not increasing. So we obviously see the need to improve recruitment. One of the things that people are questioning is restrictions on marijuana use contributing to that, especially, like I say, with the states kind of going in the other direction. But, but you did mention, and I just want to reiterate, that federal law continues to prohibit marijuana usage in the federal workplace uh, as it continues to be defined as an illegal substance under federal law. So therefore, the, you know, you look at what the states, a lot of the states are doing, uh, I believe there's 21 states that now have some form of, uh, or 26 states of some form of legal marijuana use on the books the changes of those restrictions by some states and localities does not change the federal workplace as being designated as a a drug-free workplace. So federal employees who are eligible to access classified information or occupy a sensitive position within the federal government are currently prohibited from using controlled substances such as marijuana on or off duty. But as a group, we continue to monitor pending legislation and obviously we may re-examine the security clearance policy should there be a change to federal law concerning marijuana use. But now having said that, we are looking at a lot of differing perspectives where we have flexibility from an adjudicative standpoint related to uh, past marijuana use. So we believe it's important to clarify guidance regarding the treatment of past marijuana use during the personnel vetting process, uh, in the adjudicative process. But again, going back, if if you're a young college graduate seeking employment uh, in the federal government or in the intelligence community, should you be penalized for past experimental use of marijuana absent any other blemishes on your record? And so as an example of these ongoing discussions, I know the intelligence community is collectively moving away from a previous practice of recognizing one year of abstinence from marijuana use prior to joining the intelligence community and and we believe that a better line in the sand would point to the time you actually commit to your career within the intelligence community. That would be the important point where you're expected to refrain from any marijuana uses, not just a one or two year recency rule. We're hoping that this messaging will improve recruitment efforts, attracting those who have experimented with marijuana, opening up opportunities to apply where they previously may have displayed reluctance to actually apply fearing that experimental use of marijuana would be disqualifying. So so it goes back to seed four in the adjudicative guidelines that point to a whole person concept adjudicative approach. So you look at the whole person and that's where you evaluate the trust and the integrity and the, and the character, the characteristics of a trusted person that I mentioned previously. But you also mentioned CBD oil and this issue frequently comes up as well. You know, I was in the grocery store over the weekend and walked up, there was a cabinet there under lock and key, kind of similar to how they have tobacco products now. And it said wellness center. And I looked and there. It was all a lot of CBD oils, lotions, uh, shower steamers, bath bombs, uh, things like this. But, even though those are available over the counter to consumers, it's important to recognize that the FDA still does not certify the levels of THC and CBD oils and products. So therefore, when you're actually utilizing these products, you're taking a risk that the THC content, which by the way is 0.03%, it has to be below that level um, in CBD oils, you're taking a risk that that content could be above the federal legal limits. So usage of unregulated CBD oils could result in a positive drug test. If you're under a drug testing program, or if you're applying for a job, a position that requires a drug test, you could test positive by use of these CBD oils, if it's above the federal legal limits. Obviously, to minimize this risk, individuals seeking those kind of jobs may want to think twice and wish to refrain just for that reason, that the THC content may be over the federal legal levels and wait for uh, it to be better regulated by the FDA. So that's where we are on CBD oils. It's a tricky subject, but, but we're hoping that the regulations will improve to allow these products more openly in the, in the cleared environments. And then you mentioned the investment of marijuana-related businesses, and, and and this obviously comes up quite frequently. But to put it in simple terms, if you invest in a legal activity, you know, a mutual funds, stock markets, that's not an issue. But if you knowingly and directly invest in a federally illegal activity that's where the issue is an investment in these it's currently tied to our personal conduct adjudicative guideline and would be assessed as such during the adjudicative process what that means is again the whole person concept how you elected to invest in these things and whether you're willing to divest and that sort of thing so a lot to consider but we continue to assess these issues and balance future policy considerations. And we continue to monitor the Hill and congressional action on on pending legislation in this area. So again, this is a changing societal norm, which we need to consider as we continue to carve out policy defining Trusted Workforce
0: 2.0. For a long time, I really enjoyed referring to the personnel security process as a 1947 Chrysler. And I still do (laughs) like that. But I think that Trusted Workforce 2.0 has paved the way for I mean, you're a nice, I, I don't know, I don't know what you are now, a, a mid-grade vehicle, but you're making progress. Policies are are changing in their scope a little bit. And so we still urge a caution of like abstain. If you can abstain from drug use prior to applying, that's a, that's a good rule. But I think that's a big takeaway for me because we see clearance applicants all the time who will opt out of applying because, hey, they're afraid to list that previous drug use. There is a whole person concept. So there aren't hard and fast, you know, there are guidelines, suitability guidelines, especially within the IC that you might come up against. I encourage folks to apply, especially if they have a passion for that career set. And yes, if you can be proactive enough to abstain, but don't always opt yourself out. I've heard from people who have pursued a position in the private sector because they were sure their clearance wouldn't go through. Lo and behold, they were actually able to obtain the security clearance because, again, it's not always you have to, you know, have never done a drug for two years prior to applying. And then, yeah, know your supplier. I mean, that's drug use 101, Mark. If you're going to put a bath bomb (laughs) in my stocking, kids, I think you should make sure that it's well supplied, that it comes with a testing kit. We've urged that same caution, like just how much is that CBD product worth? And then I've told my brother that I can't invest in his marijuana business, but I can in my mutual fund. So those are three great takeaways that I've gotten. Fantastic.
1: Good, good. We are trying to get this message out and we do recruitment efforts and and we get this question a lot. So we're trying to get this message out that, hey, characteristics of a trusted person is a wide range. Obviously, everyone's human, but don't let that deter you from applying to a position, especially within the uh, uh, federal government or the intelligence community.
0: And then being honest and upfront, too, because I mean, what will get you in trouble is if you fail to disclose it and then and then go down the road. So I think there's something that we said, I think the process recognizes that you want people who are a key component of reliability and trustworthiness is being honest and saying, like, hey, I did this in the past, but this is why it's in the past. And this is why I'm willing to give it up for the future.
1: Absolutely.
0: I so appreciate chatting with you. Is there anything else that I didn't ask about that you wanted to
1: ask? We covered a lot, and I look forward to uh, continuing this conversation as we continue down the path of trusted workforce.
0: This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.